0: We will find as we continue to study through this book of James that while many of the other matters of truth are considered and they're explained in in these verses, faith will remain throughout as the heart of the message that God has for us in this book. And we'll also find that God has cleverly intertwined various warnings into many of the matters and issues that he brings forward warnings That the ever-present adversary of our soul, adversary of our faith, is that of sin. Sin. And sin will surely put our faith under fire at every turn, testing it, trying it with everything sin has within its power, with always its goal being to cause our faith to fail. You might recall that Jesus said to Peter there in the upper room, He said, Peter... Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed that your faith would not fail. So as God allows us to go through these trials, He is praying, He is our intercessor, that our faith would not fail. And may I also give us the warning, though, about the power of sin. While we ourselves are ever and always solely accountable for the sins that we commit, the devil and his minions truly are ever and always a compelling force within what's taking place there are power supply within the circumstances of our sin so yes sin erupts from within us but it's being ever fueled by satan because that's what satan does that's what the demonic world is all about we learned that truth right from the beginning of these scriptures uh, as adam and eve were being tempted by their own desires recall those words that we just read we're when we are tempted by our own desires, they were tempted. They were tempted by Satan. He was right there with clever words of what these scriptures call beguilement, pressing on forward towards their failure. And though Adam and Eve tried their best to come up with some acceptable excuse for their sinful behavior, God really wouldn't have it. When it comes to sin, folks, we must understand we are always accountable for our sin. And without excuse, when we stand before that judgment seat, we'll be silent. We'll not be making excuses. And that really is, for us now, so much more the case. Because with us believers who live on this side of the cross of Christ, we're truly without excuse because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. He gives us His Holy Spirit the moment that we receive Him as Savior. And so His Holy Spirit is living within us. And then we also have these scriptures that so clearly instruct us and encourage us. And so because of those two things, the Holy Spirit within us and then these scriptures, we're without excuse when sin and the minions of the devil come calling on us to test our faith. And again, as I mentioned several times over the past couple of the messages, the testing of our faith comes in so many different forms and takes place continually throughout our day. Now here in these words that I just read from uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, there's just one more example of the way sin attacks. This time, sin focuses in on our thought processes. Those thoughts that come into our mind as we look around us and observe people, Those, especially those up close, many of them that we know, but also many that uh, are perhaps nationally uh, known. Listen to these words. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the grass, and his flower falls, and his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now here in these words, God is instructing us to examine the the deep recesses of our thoughts and attitudes. And implicit within these words is a warning about the conclusions that our mind might draw as we consider our own position in life. That's what he's talking about in these words. And also as we look around us and as we consider the positions of others, how their position in life does or perhaps does not relate to our own. Now later on in chapter 2, of James, there's a more in-depth consideration of of these particular matters having to do with finance. But for the moment, God is first bringing to our minds just how in the quietness of our own thoughts sin is an ever-present predator. Sin is an ever-present predator. And he explains those thought processes again in verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he uh, he himself tempts no one, but each person to listen. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, folks, that's the thought process that's taking place. That's how sin begins within the recesses of our own minds. A thought hangs around within our mind for too long, and after a while, It becomes a desire. And then after another while, it becomes a behavior. We see how that worked out with one of the first sins that was mentioned within these scriptures with Cain and Abel. Cain seemed to think that his special offering to God should be acceptable and should be appreciated by God. But folks, for God to be glorified by our behavior, you and I must worship Him in the way that He prescribes. Cain didn't do that. Cain didn't do that, and his offering was rejected. And from there, the meanderings of Cain's mind took him to places that he should not have gone. And you can see the words of these verses that I just read taking place. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Cain had this desire to worship God in the way that he wanted to. It's uh, referred to uh, by a Tom T. Hall song, Me and Jesus. Well, it is Me and Jesus, but it's not just that. We have to go by what God wants. So it's not just some special arrangement that Jesus makes with me. It's not some special arrangement that God was going to make with Cain. Cain wanted it to be that way. You may want it to be that way, but it's not that way. Folks, this is the way that we worship God. It's prescribed right here in Scripture. So these meanderings of, of Cain's mind took him to places that he shouldn't go. And you'll recall what took place then from there. Cain decided that someone ought to pay. He was rejected. His pride was hurt, perhaps. Trying to explain it, perhaps, in today's uh, vernacular, the way we think about it. His pride, his ego, and he was tempted then with his own desires to get even with someone. Perhaps God. But he can't get even with God. So he chose Abel. Now, there in those very beginning words of Scripture, God brings about a thing that He promises to you and me. He reached in and he stopped Cain and warned him away before Cain ever took that step. That comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's why you and I are without excuse. God will always do this very thing. And he did that. With Cain, he warned Cain away from it. He said to Cain there in Genesis 4, he said, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, but you must master it. Folks, listen, God is our loving Father, and He is constantly aware of every thought that comes into our minds. Think about that. He knows every thought that passes through your mind and my mind every day. He knows that if wrong thoughts are allowed to linger within our minds for very long, they will eventually work their way out in the way that's described here in verses 14 and 15. They'll work their way out into sin. Sin is so very clever. And the words there that I read to you from Genesis 4, they seem to imply that sin itself almost has a mind of its own, presenting sin like a predatory animal. And I believe that's exactly what God wanted us to understand. Listen to these words again. He said to Cain, he said, Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin has this power within it, and no, I don't understand it, but it's there. It's like an animal crouching behind the door, just waiting for you and me to walk through. That's the way sin works. It's always looking for ways to bring our faith into fire and to use every circumstance of life to tempt our faith to fail. And so then that's why we read these words here in verses 9 through 12. These are very ordinary circumstances. These are things that you and I do every day as we look around us. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, his flower falls and his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now think for a moment what's taking place in our minds that prompts God to write this warning. Because it is a warning to us. Because here God is bringing our deepest thoughts into consideration. And he's having you and me to consider more than just having whether or not we have an adequate amount of money to meet our daily needs. He's asking us to consider the hidden attitudes that we have towards our condition. And so, because he's asking the question, may I also ask us the question, what is our attitude towards the living conditions and the lifestyle that we find ourselves in today? Are we happy with where we are? Are we satisfied? Are we contented with who we are and where we are in life? That's the question that he's bringing to you in my mind. May I remind you that this Apostle James is a no-nonsense, get-straight-to-the-point kind of messenger from God. And that's the manner in which he's asking us to consider this condition, this financial condition that we live in. He intends for you and me to confront our own selves with these kinds of questions. And so, may I ask again, how do you feel? You know, that's one of those psychological words that uh, you hear a lot today. You didn't used to hear it. But it is important because feelings are what drives much of what we do. And it has to do with this desire that can go in the wrong direction. And so I would ask you, how do you feel about your own personal financial condition right at this moment? Are you satisfied? Are you content with the amount of money that you have? What about your house? Is it nice enough? What about your car? What about your truck? What about your clothes? Is your jewelry real? We had a friend, she had a diamond in her ring that was so huge that her hand seemed to almost (laughs) fall down. Are you satisfied with the size of your ring, of that stone? Now, while we're considering our own financial position, we also need to determine what the attitude, our attitude is, towards the way that other people live as compared to us because that's what we do. We do that. We compare ourselves to other people. When we observe other people, and that's what he's talking about here. When we observe other people, especially those that we might know have more money than we have, do we envy them? Do we despise them? We used to have this sweet, sweet Christian lady that would use the expression quite often, all the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, you know, she was expressing this kind of meandering of the mind that takes place, and God wants us to deal with that. He also asks us to deal with, what do we think about those other people? Those other people, ones we really don't know we're well, but we can obviously see that they have probably less than we have. It's those people that live in that other part of town that we don't get to know. But what do we think of them? How does their mind deal with that? See, God is saying to us, I want you to get down below the surface of what you say. Because it's the attitudes and it's those thoughts of the mind that turn into sin. That's what he's saying to us here in James 1. Another question, while we're asking these questions about ourselves, may we ask another one? What do you think that other people think about you and about your lifestyle? Because they're going through the very same thought process. Do they think you're rich? Do they think you're poor? Do they think you uh, have class or don't have class? Now, we can't know what other people think about us. And... Often, we probably would protest and say, well, I really don't care what other people think about me. But let me say to you, we do. We really do care what other people think about us. About the way we look. About our clothes. About our hair. And about our truck. May I make a confession to you? I love my truck, but I really don't like its color. Now, why? Is it that I don't like the color of my truck? It's because my truck is the standard color of the US Forestry Service, one that they cycled out and sold to the public and I bought And because I know that most men, now you ladies may not know this, that green may not uh, mean much to you, but most of us men know that that's an old forestry truck. And that puts a taint in my mind and in my acceptance of my truck. And that is a silly thing. That is a silly thing, but it comes to my mind every time I get in my truck. It is probably very close to, if not already across the line, to some degree, being a sin. My attitude towards this gift that God has given to me. Because that truck is a really good truck. It does everything that I need. But you see what I'm talking about? It has this other thing, this other factor within it that kind of ruins it for me in a wrong way. The truth is, there are a lot of emotions that go into our dealing with the way that we live each day. And not only just the basics of it, do we have enough food and adequate clothing and and good transportation, but it has to do with what we think and feel. What do we think and feel about our own finances? What do we think and feel about other people? And what do we think they think about us? Now, I want you to know that I know that to some degree, you know, we can protest and say, I don't think about those things. Uh, and, And some of the things I've been speaking about here, they may not apply to you personally, but some of them do. Some of them do. Why do I know that? It's because God has put it within these scriptures. God has put it in here for us to consider. That's why God addresses money and the things of money and the lifestyle all through these scriptures. Because they do matter to us. And what we think about it matters to God. Because we're His children. I'm a son of God. I'm not to be letting my ego get in between my worship and thankfulness to Him for all that He provides. God wants me to address these matters. And He wants you to. And He talks about it. Let me read to you. These are verses that you have read many times. He's talking about our finances. Matthew 6. Jesus said... Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For, you, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now he knows that we need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things that we need shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Now note in these words that it's not just a matter of us having enough of the basic necessities of life. It's what we think about it. Are we worrying about it? Because worry is a distrust of God and His provision. He has promised to take care of you and me. And He's been doing that very well for me especially almost 75 years I could not have designed a better life for myself than what I have. Terrific wife. I have enough money to pay the bills. He doesn't want me to be worrying. He doesn't want you to be worrying. One basic truth that prevails is that there are very few people though that are truly confident and happy and satisfied with their financial condition. I have my problems. I have to go back and remind myself on a regular basis daily but I'm not to be being concerned about these things. If he's going to take care of me for the first close to 75 years, he's going to take care of me for the rest of them. But very few people are truly confident with what they have. And very few people are truly happy and satisfied with the financial condition that they have. And it doesn't really matter which side of the, the cultural divide that we happen to be on, whether it be dirt poor uh, or whether it be wealthy. You know, the poor sit daily within their homes and wonder how are they going to pay for the bills? How are they going to to eat tomorrow? But also, the stock market just dropped 3,000 points. So people who have lots of money, they're struggling right now. Do you realize that uh, some people those who have a lot, I I think I read that uh, Mr. Bezos lost uh, $3 billion in one day when the stock market dropped. $3 billion. Now, you may not lose a lot. You may only have so much involved, but when the market drops this way, so, so it's, it's it's whichever part of that cultural divide we're on, bottom line, most people, to some degree, were unsatisfied with what we have. Jesus addressed that intense desire for money and the things that money can buy by using this word mammon. I, I don't use the word mammon very often, only probably when I'm speaking of Scripture's But as you probably know, mammon not only implies money. Mammon implies even more the high life, that wealth, or the possibilities of what wealth can provide. That lifestyle, that mystical lifestyle that we think about. uh, The importance also that money can can bring, the power and the position that we might have in uh, our community or whatever. And it also implies the desire that resides within a person's heart, a desire that is so strong that it becomes a master. That's what Jesus calls it. He says, it becomes, mammon becomes your master. And he says to us, no one can serve two masters. This is in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You know, we can want something really bad, but despise it. It's funny the way our minds work through these matters of uh, uh, where a master is over us. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and clothing? Now, folks, with these and other words of warning, God wants you and me to better understand how the wiles of sin The wilds of sin work within our minds and our souls every day. At every turn, there are new opportunities for sin to bring our faith into fire. Now here today, with these examples of making comparisons between what we have or don't have in life, or how all of that compares with what our neighbor has or doesn't have, for most of us, while we may not even want it to be taking place, those kinds of thoughts do flow through our minds. And they bring our faith under fire because we're, they're in the quietness of our own thoughts. God is warning us here that that's where sin has its beginnings. And we have to deal with it because a simple thought, listen, a simple thought that hangs around within our mind for too long, if it's left unattended properly, that thought will become a desire. And then after a while, without us even realizing it's taking place, that thought becomes desire and then a behavior, a wrong behavior, a sinful behavior. Now as for these kinds of thoughts about finances spoken about here, God encourages us with the words that I opened with today. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. May I close with a quote from a book that I would recommend to you. Difficult reading, but it's excellent. It's a book, uh, Future Grace by John Piper, Future Grace. And it's particularly applicable to the intent of these scriptures. The quote is this, and I'd invite you to remember this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's the hidden meaning behind this consideration as we walk amongst people and we think about who we are and who they are and how we ought to be living and how we do live. God is the one that needs to be glorified. That is the end goal of all people, to glorify God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let's pray.